Welcome to another episode of Startup Impact Radio, the podcast about entrepreneurs and their vision for changing the world. My co-host is Scott Tobe, CEO of Signature Financial Planning, and I'm Joel Reed, CEO of OpenArc. Today, we're talking about Vet Now with Dr. April Horball, who is an expert in animal care and the veterinary industry. We'll discuss everything there is to know about the skyrocketing need for veterinary care in both pet and livestock industries. Thanks for joining us today, April. Yeah, thanks for having me. So April, your platform helps connect these acute care needs with standard veterinary care. And there's an aspect to the platform of improving the productivity of these vets to care for more animals. Is that fair? Yeah, it is. What we found in some of our work so far, like with Texas A&M, um, a lot of their, their specialty departments there in their small animal hospital, their companion animal hospital, do a lot of their follow-up through vet now at this point. And what they've found is that appointments that they used to schedule for 30 minutes in person, they can now handle through vet now in just for 10 so even getting those little productivity gains, those, you know, 10, 20 minutes here and there, that really mm -hmm. helps in the long run. And the mm -hmm. other piece of things too, that's kind of, was kind of unanticipated is that by doing that, yeah, the doctor still has to see the patient, but it frees up the office space, the receptionist, the technician that's holding the animal, things like that. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's really where we're, you know, we're starting to see some of those gains and where we know we so April, I'm curious, I heard you say that, that you guys developed your software from scratch. Sure. There's obviously a lot of good telehealth software out there. So wh why did you take that step and, and talk yeah. to us about the challenges of, of creating so, that software? Yeah. So like I said, we started off by licensing a human software platform, right? So like you're saying, there's a lot of telemedicine software out there. Uh, the issues we ran into with it were that it didn't take into account you're really, you essentially have a tripartite relationship when you're talking about your, your patient is not actually the person, right? That your client is the owner or the pet parent or the, you know, the farmer, that's the, that's your client. The patient is the animal itself. And then, you know, you have the vet, the doctor. And so taking into mm -hmm. account that relationship, plus the fact that when you're talking about livestock, you're often talking about a barn or a herd um as a group not a single animal so those things definitely made the relationship part of it different um the other piece of things too is that as i was kind of saying or alluding to earlier that electronic medical record penetration in the vet space is um a lot different than in the human space and so we had to create something that could either work with electronic medical records or be a standalone and, and when you're looking at the medical record space, um, at least when I was still running my hospital a few years ago, we would still get about 50% of records from our recurring vets by fax. So most of them didn't have electronic programs, right? And, the, and then the other 50% that did have those electronic programs, there's 30 or 40 big systems in the vet space, mm. right? There's mm. there's a couple that are more prominent than others, um, but by no means is it like human medicine where you have like Epic and Cerner 
um, are those two big names. And as long as you function with them, you can kind of work within most systems, right? In the vet space, it's not like that. So we had to create something that could either be almost like a light medical record itself or that could, you know, easily integrate with a variety of different softwares. And so those are the reasons that we really you know, went down the path of creating our own software. Now, it has been really challenging because none of us were software people to begin with, right? So I have a team that helps me with that. And I certainly have a much better understanding of software development and product and everything like that now. Um, but, you know, at the beginning, we started off by trying to replicate what had been done in human medicine. And we realized also that that didn't fit. We needed to start really simple for veterinarians, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Especially as we were trying and starting to scale this, this program, we were starting into the COVID pandemic. And mm -hmm. vets were so incredibly overwhelmed during COVID. I know everyone was, but vets especially had their workflows thrown into complete chaos because they had to start doing curbside appointments where the person was in the car and the animal went into the practice. They had to, you know, start dealing with the fact that everyone and their brother got puppies during COVID. Um, and the people were sitting at home more with their animals. Um, and so they were noticing more with their animals. So bringing them in. Um, so that, the combination of a lot of those factors led to us having to really really simplify what we were trying to do with them mm -hmm. um so you know it, it kind of created a, a perfect storm in a way that really forced us to say okay what do we really what do vets really what does the animal health world really and so we've really tried to be much more focused on that as opposed to creating like some really fancy platform actually the more simple the better we found by the way, my COVID I'll, puppy is laying on, laying at my feet, just right over here. <laughs> a COVID puppy, yeah, yeah. Are yeah. you, are you guilty of that? Yeah, yeah, we, right. So we, we had one dog already, but we were like, yeah, let's let's get another one. <laughs> oh yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's. Mm -hmm. I oh, I don't want to say. Don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere in the ballpark of like there are thirty or forty million new dog owners in the wow. U.S. since COVID, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I do at this point, 70% of us households have a pet. So it's, wow. I mean, it's, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And we got a COVID puppy as well. And our puppy <laughs> accidentally ate, um, part of a corn cob. Yep. And, uh, we went to the hospital and in March, you know, and probably what was it in some, late 2020 or something and spent all night in, outside in the car as the puppy yep. was being cared for. So yep. totally know exactly. what you're talking about. And, you know, yeah. it led to all sorts of issues for vets. Like people would drop their animals off and Joel, thank you for not being one of these people I'm about to refer to. They would drop their pets off and like go grocery shopping and not answer their phone to get you know um, updates mm -hmm. to get you know oh can we yeah. can we run this test on your dog can we, so you ended up having just complete days thrown into chaos most of the time when that was when that was so wow. it, it led to a lot of um soul searching for the veterinary industry right trying to figure mm -hmm. out and and finally we're getting to the point i'd say in the last 12 or nine months where the industry is really focused on becoming more serious which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. Very good. 
Well, April, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier. This was a kind of shocking statistic that six veterinar- vets took care of like four plus million pigs. That seemed yeah. like an incredible ratio. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about the impact to the animals when there's just not enough veterinarian care so we can yeah. understand that a little bit better? So, so it's really different when you're talking about companion pets versus livestock, right? It really is. Um, and so, you know, focusing on the, the livestock take specifically, since we're, we're, we're talking about that um, statistic, right? Um, it's really an issue of safety of our food supply, which I don't think people think about very much, right? I think, you know, a lot of people are pretty disconnected about where our food, food comes from, our meat and our dairy and our things, right? Um, but, you know, one of the... the best examples that I think really are consumers recently is the price of eggs, right? And so, you know, that was a hot story maybe a month or two ago. And I think, you know, it hasn't really gotten better, but it hasn't gotten worse is that egg prices have skyrocketed. Now that's because um, multiple factors, but one of them is an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza that occurred in about 48 states. In Pennsylvania alone, um, we had to call or euthanize um, about 5 million uh, chickens mm. and turkeys and other poultry. And that, and like I said, it affected 48 states. So, you know, you have the last time we had an outbreak about six years ago, it cost the industry $2 billion. Um, mm. So that's the kind of scale that we're talking about here. And not having enough veterinarians in that space, especially, really um, puts at risk you know, the, the faster spread of infectious disease. If you don't have a skilled person understanding what's going on, if you don't have a veterinarian running the correct test. Mm-hmm. And also if you have a veterinarian trying to overextend, like the, the worst thing that spreads a lot of these infectious diseases between these food producing animals is people themselves and people moving from barn to barn or animal to animal, right? And carrying the disease on their clothes or their boots or their cell phone even. In a lot of, you know, big swine facilities, big poultry facilities, you're not even allowed to take your own cell phone and you have to change Mm -hmm. and you have to shower in and shower out because of the risk of disease spread. So that is probably the, the most concerning thing is that we could have, a horrible infectious disease outbreak um, that could decimate the the food producing animal um, you know, population here and not catch it in time because we don't have enough veterinarians. In. There's about 130,000 vets total in the U.S. and only um, about 7,000 take care of livestock. Wow. So it's it's a really small population. Um, there, the livestock, of course, is spread out very far. A lot of the pig vets we talk to drive 80,000 miles a year to try to, to hit, you know, as many of the big farms as they can. And so it's led to a lot of concern for sure in terms of that disease spread, in terms of access to care when there's an emergency, um, in terms of appropriate antibiotic use, because mm-hmm. you don't have a vet, you can't reach a vet and you have a bottle of penicillin on the shelf which a lot of farmers do give it to your cow when it's sick right instead of making sure that's the right thing to do and so you know i think all of those things combined um are very concerning and that there are not a lot of 
vets, um, unfortunately, that are entering that space now anymore either. Mm. Only one or two percent of new graduates and about 50 mm. percent of them uh, large animal mm. practice within mm. five years because mm. of the driving, because of mm. being stuck in a rural area, because mm. of, you know, the fact that there's such a demand for companion animal vets right now. They can go there mm. and make a lot more money and work four days a week without having to spend, you know, 12 hours a day in their car. Right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that, that is a, a big concern area for sure that people aren't necessarily as intimately familiar with. Hmm. Well, sounds like you are really trying to solve a massive problem. So it's, uh, it's... It, it really is. It's a huge, it's a, it's a huge problem. It's a, a big concern. Yeah. So April, can you talk to us a little bit about the business model for like how, how, how who pays for your services and how do you work with the specialist doctors that you're working with? Yeah. So, um, the, that basically the veterinarian or their clinic or the, their group of clinic, um, pays us a monthly subscription to access our software. Right. Um, and we really help them through implementing the software, you know, figuring out their best workflows to have a few different appointments or, you know, offer a few different services through it. Um, and then they utilize it to either access their second, like second opinions, if they want to reach out to a specialist they know through the software, or if they want to use it for their end client, or if they want to use it for more of a integrated communication tool between their, you know, that big producers I'm talking about from their management to the veterinarian to you know the farm managers the farm workers themselves right so um we really do customize it for a lot of different users uh, but the the vets the clinics the people that employ the vets there are they pay the monthly subscription um we have built a panel of specialists as well so they're they're contracted with us they are stay-at-home moms that want to keep their hand in the game. They're university professors that have, you know, 50% of their time assigned to office, right? And things of that nature. So um, they've joined our panel on a contracted basis. And um, when they are accessed by, by other veterinarians, there's a per use fee then. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you need a dermatology appointment, a consult, you pay, you know, a dermatologist, have your one hour appointment, you get a visit summary, recommendations on prescribing, things like that. Um, and that does, though, because of current legal regulation, that does have to go through another veterinarian. So I don't want people that are on this podcast listening, thinking they can like, oh, I can look up that now and talk to a dermatologist. You, you do have to go through your veterinarian. So mm -hmm. yeah. does do 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 you feel like the regulatory environment needs to be updated a little bit to handle this tele? Mm -hmm. I do up updated, but not completely. Right. There's okay. something called the vet client patient relationship that about 45 of the 50 states have written into their laws. Um, and this is a, it's a state by state issue. So it's not going to unfortunately change anytime soon completely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but that relationship, in a lot of states, it's specified it has to be formed by doing either like a physical exam on a dog or cat or a pet um, or doing a, like a site visit and a herd exam on a farm. And so 
once that relationship is formed, then you can, for the next year, do really what you need to do within telemedicine, right? A vet can do okay. follow-ups, can, you know, die, even sometimes diagnose new problems remotely, things like that. Um, mm. But that regulation is a little, it's very restrictive in terms of the shortage issues we're talking about and in terms mm. of it may not be the most appropriate way to, you know, like I was saying, there's a lot of information we have access to now, right? In terms, especially on farms, lots of dashboards, lots of data being collected. Even they know how much, you know, maybe each individual pig eats and drinks at least, right? So hmm. going up there and looking at that pig is great, but actually when you have the data that says, oh, they haven't been drinking enough for the last two days, that means a lot more, right? Than, yeah. than actually seeing that animal in person. So um, I think it needs to change, but there is, there's a push by some organizations to kind of, do away with it completely or, you know, allow that relationship to be formed via telemedicine. Um, and so I don't have the perfect answer, but I think, you know, completely eliminating that is also not the right answer, right? Because that mm -hmm. does at least, that provides some standard of care metric. I don't, and I don't mm -hmm. think we have the best answer for that yet. But mm -hmm. A lot of the way we operate is within that current regulatory environment. And so... Mm -hmm. It's something that we keep our, our finger on the pulse of. It's something that we participate in, you know, intense discussion groups about and things like that. But we don't have the perfect answer and we're not relying. Mm -hmm. So I typically hate to speak in generalities, but, you know, I, in my financial planning practice, I work with a lot of doctors. Uh, okay. And yeah. typically they don't tend to be entrepreneurs. Um, so I'm really curious, how did you become an entrepreneur? Yeah, so um, I think some of it is from my family, right? So, um, you know, my father's an entrepreneur. My mother helped him start multiple businesses. I always knew that I wanted to own um, or start a veterinary hospital or clinic here in Pittsburgh region. Um, the telehealth telemedicine aspect of it moving into more of like a software company that was very unexpected right but i think it was born of the need um that exists in the industry right and kind of that desire to you know yeah i absolutely could go out and practice and, and you know get get a job at a university hospital or you know another institution because so my my clinical specialty it's actually something we haven't discussed here at all today, but my clinical specialty is actually equine dental surgery. So um, there's only about 22 of us board certified by the American Veterinary Dental College in the country. Wow. So I could go do that, right? Um, but for me, it's a big driver to, to really change the way that veterinary care is delivered for both, you know, the health of the animal and the happiness of the animal owner and the and really stability and better quality life veterinarian. So, um, you know, if I was just practicing, I wouldn't have as much of an opportunity to impact that. So that's really mm -hmm. what's driven me to do that now. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Sounds like we could do a whole show on equine dental surgery. That would be yeah, fascinating. I mean, if but... we really wanted to get into it, we could. We could. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be getting a little far afield from our... Right. Uh, but... <laughs> Sounds fascinating. We'll have to talk about that over lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, you, we've talked a lot about the livestock industry and and the safety of our food chains and so forth. Um, what about in, um, you know, just for pets that people have at home? Yeah. What are some of the challenges and impacts you're trying to have in that space to make the world a better place? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, talked a little bit about how many pets there are now, right? You know, the U.S., the developed world, any any economy in the world that's developing a middle class, right? Um, they, they really are, you know, that's what drives pet owners. And the other piece of things is that people really are starting to view pets as members of their family now, um, much more so than they ever did before. And so, you know, for people, it's really about providing the highest quality care available for their animal. Um, and it's about people that are in very remote and rural regions being able to access, you know, the same quality care that there is in a city. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of that combined, especially the, the weight CA specialist, the, uh, you know, difficulty in um training new specialists it's very it's few and far between when you're able to actually train a new specialist um and you know this this need to really get pets in general to engage with veterinary care is important because we have essentially kind of two categories you have those people that do see pets as their member members of the family and want this because they want the highest quality care they that they can see a specialist from you know the university of Kansas, but be here in an office in Pittsburgh, fantastic, right? Like, that's great. Um, and it, so that for them, it's that driving the highest quality of care possible. And that's very important for their family member, right? Mm -hmm. On the other side of things, about 50% of cats and 25% of dogs never see a vet in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so that segment of the population, it's like completely, it's so disparate, right? Um, but that segment of the population, we really see this um, as being important, not immediately, but in the near future in terms of that access to care period. So in mm -hmm. terms of getting those people, and this is where those regulations came, because, okay, you're not seeing a vet in person, but, you know, seeing one virtually is better than not seeing one at all, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, for for that segment of the population moving forward, getting that access to care and really, you know, driving people into veterinary care don't, don't typically access it is really where, you know, we can talk through this. That's great. So April, let's, let's fast forward five to 10 years. That now is a complete success. Talk to us about what that looks like and what impact you're having on the world at that time. Oh, all right. All right. So yeah, I think, you know, really it means that in that five to 10 years, that means digital transformation of, of the delivery of, of veterinary care, right? It means that um, vets and veterinary practices are doing this seamlessly, that it's no longer a conversation about like, oh, can we do that through vet now? Okay, mm -hmm. you know, oh, wait, should we be thinking about this? Should we be thinking... Telemedicine's a, a thing now. Should we be doing it? It really means that it's become a natural choice for not everything, but for, for a lot of follow-ups, for a lot of initial conversations, for a lot of, you know, um, even some, some heavy subjects where you need deeper advice, like oncology and, um, you know, end-of-life 
decisions and things like that. And it really means too um, improving the way that developing countries can access care too. Um, that's you know something I think where where I do see us moving in the next few years because of the. Well, April, uh, look for bringing this in for a landing. Uh, what advice would you give your younger self? God, yeah, I would probably say actually say no more. I think it was too easy as a young entrepreneur that did not have an entrepreneurial or business background beyond you know my own family experience to go chasing a lot of different targets, right? Um, and I think that focusing in more, um, I think it was important to kind of explore all of that, but I think focusing in more and saying, you know, no to things more um, would have been really important because um, it may look like an opportunity from the outset, but it may actually be a distraction in the long run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, April, if you figure that one out, please let me know because I've <laughs> been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and I still very much struggle with saying right. no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That is so, great advice. <laughs> it is great advice, yes. Um, so I'm just curious, um, you know, since we're talking about entrepreneurism, do you have a hack that you use, like a, a productivity hack that worked for you? So I honestly, I, I work off a checklist. Right. A checklist is my, you know, I put the, the silliest little things on a checklist. Right. Um, but it's the way that, you know, I feel like I'm accomplishing things through the day and the way that I actually don't forget the little things then, because it is really easy to forget, like, oh, I need to email that person or oh, I need to, you know, schedule that appointment or something like that. Right. So I um, there's there's a book called The Checklist Manifesto. And I've, uh, it's, it's been out for, gosh, probably like 10 years now, five at least. But, um, I, I it actually uses a lot of, uh, airplane analogies because, you know, when you're getting ready to fly an airplane, no matter if you're a professional pilot and you've flown, you know, 787s for 30 years, you still actually work off a checklist. All right. Um, well, April, uh, look for bringing this in for a landing. What? advice would you give your younger self? God. Yeah, I, I think I would probably say actually say no more. Um, okay. I think it was too easy as a young entrepreneur that did not have an entrepreneurial or business background beyond, you know, my own family experience to go chasing a lot of different targets, right? Um, and I think that focusing in more, um, I think it was important to kind of explore all of that, but I think focusing in more and saying, you know, no to things more, um, would have been really important because, um, it may look like an opportunity from the outset, but it may actually be a distraction in the long run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. April, if you figure that one out, please let me know. Cause I've <laughs> been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and I still very much struggle with saying right. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is so, great advice. <laughs> it is great advice. Yes. Um, so I'm just curious, um, you know, since we're talking about entrepreneurism, do you have a hack that you use, like a, a productivity hack that worked for you? So I 
honestly, I, I work off a checklist, right? A checklist is my, you know, I put the, the silliest little things on a checklist, right? Um, but it's the way that, you know, I feel like I'm accomplishing things through the day and the way that I actually don't forget the little things then, because it is really easy to forget, like, oh, I need to email that person or, oh, I need to, you know, schedule that appointment or something like that, right? So there's a book called The Checklist Manifesto. And I've, uh, it's, it's been out for, gosh, probably like 10 years now, five at least. But um, I, I it actually uses a lot of uh, airplane analogies because, you know, when you're getting ready to fly an airplane, no matter if you're a professional pilot and you've flown, you know, 787s for 30 years, you still actually work off a checklist um, before you take yeah. off, right? And so yeah. it kind of takes that, um, that thought process and brings it into business, which has been really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Nice. Keeps us safe in the air. So it's got to be, gotta be right? for us on the right? ground here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right. So you're out on a Friday night with friends. April, yep. what are you drinking? Um, oh gosh, that varies a lot. Um, okay. Probably a good IPA. Currently, current probably a good drink. IPA. Yeah. A good IPA. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. Favorite right. brands? Um, so, well, I live right down the street from Hitchhiker Brewery, oh. so I end up there a lot. Okay. That's a good local Pittsburgh. Yeah. Are you near Sharpsburg or the South Hills location? No, the South Hills. Okay. South Hills, yeah. yeah. I was going to say you're also down the street then from my favorite brewery, which is Dancing Gnome Brewery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Very good. In there a few well, times. That was wonderful. We, Scott and I learned a lot. Thank you. Um, no, thank you guys. And, and while the impact you're having, um, is, is, is so important with food safety and, and caring animals, caring for animals and so, so forth. So we wish you all the success. Uh, thank you to everyone who, uh, listened today. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. It all helps. You can follow me on LinkedIn at joel-reed-oa and follow Scott Tobe on LinkedIn at scotttobe-sfp. And April, if people want to learn more about VetNow or follow you, what should they do? Yeah, so we have a website at vetnow.com they can check out. And we're also on you know, LinkedIn. It's probably the best social to follow us on as well. Okay, great. Yep. Well, thanks, everybody. See you next time. Um, before you take yeah. off, right? And so mm -hmm. it kind of takes that um, that thought process and brings it into business, which has been really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Nice. Keeps us safe in the air, so it's got to be, gotta be right? good for us on the right? ground here, yeah. right? <laughs> All right, so you're out on a Friday night with friends. April, yep. what are you drinking? Um. Oh, gosh, that varies a lot. Um, okay. Probably a good IPA. Currently, currently a good brand. IPA. Yeah. Favorite brand? Well, I live right down the street from Hitchhiker Brewery, huh. so I end up there a lot. Okay. That's a good local Pittsburgh. Yeah. Are you near Sharpsburg or the South Hills location? No, the South Hills. Okay. South Hills, yes. Yeah. I was going to say you're also down the street then from my favorite brewery, which is Dancing Gnome Brewery. Well, April, that was wonderful. Scott and I learned a lot. Thank you. Um, no, thank you guys. And, and while the impact you're having is so important with food safety and, 
caring for animals. So we wish you all the success. Thank you to everyone who listened today. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. It all helps. You can follow me on LinkedIn at joel-reed-oa and follow Scott Tobe on LinkedIn at scotttobe-sfp. And April, if people want to learn more about VetNow or follow you, what should they do? Yeah, so we have a website at vetnow.com they can check out. And we're also on you know, LinkedIn. It's probably the best social to follow us on as well. Okay, great. Yep. Well, thanks, everybody. See you next time.